seven key areas, seven key areas that if you were intentional with, you could leave that godly legacy that we as a church see. We see transformed lives leaving a godly legacy that, that as Jesus gets a hold of your heart and as he changes you and he transforms you, the, everyone benefits because of it. Everyone around you uh, is drawn closer to Jesus because you are following him. And that's what these, these past several weeks have been in this series, that everyone can leave a godly legacy by following Jesus in these seven key areas of life. Tonight, I want to talk to you about your finances. And you know, it's only logical that we talk about this because last week we talked about the making of money and your calling and what you do with your job. Well, wouldn't it be logical if Jesus got a hold of the spending of the money that you have been given? Of course, everything comes under the leadership of Jesus. This isn't at all what, what I want from you. So we've already taken the offering. We won't benefit from this. This is what we want for you. That's the picture that we could, as a family of believers, follow who Jesus is and what he wants for our lives in the area of our finances. And there's a disconnect. There's a disconnect so many times that we would know the word of God, if some of us do, and, and then go live as if it doesn't matter out there. And what we want to really try to do as a family here is we want to know the word so that we can live the word out there. There's a disconnect inside and outside of the church by, by walking away and living our own way to claim that everything we have is our own and it's not God's. There's a disconnect to spend without a plan and to spend without life-giving skills. And I don't know about you, but I didn't really learn a whole bunch of budgeting skills or how to lead in a family financially. And so most of what I've learned was trial or error or error. Most of the time it was error. And so I've learned over the course of these years that I must, as, as, um, as a husband, as a father, I must lead in the area of finances in, in my marriage and in my home. My wife is looking to me to give godly, loving, caring influence in the area of finances. My kids are too. My kids receive a blessing when I'm wise with what God has entrusted to us. So I want to open up to the book of Philippians. Philippians is in the New Testament, Philippians chapter 4, because this is really a legacy passage written by the Apostle Paul. He's going to show us... Um, what the key to handling finances is all about. And if we could get this value, it would radically change our lives. It targets the very problem and sway of our culture to spend it all on yourself, to give very little to God, to buy, don't save, to overextend ourselves, live far beyond what we're able to pay. And the result is slavery and to debt. And God's word calls us away from that. So we need this passage to guide us. Let's take a look at Philippians chapter 4, beginning with verse 10. And we'll read down through verse 20. Would you read it with me? It says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have received, excuse me, you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking from being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, 
abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not, not, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's unpack this because there's so much to learn on this. First of all, Paul was funded by the church in Philippi. And if you look at in Philippi, it was not this uh, affluent, rich church. It was uh, it was poor and in, in poverty, and and they were a humble group of people. They they uh, were not as complex, and they weren't as technologically advanced as the church in Corinth. And when Paul called the church to Corinth, they said, "Let's give," but they didn't give. Paul didn't even have to mention it to Philippi, and they sent money to him. By giving, they realized that they advanced the gospel. They actually saw that as they gave more to the Apostle Paul, he was able to go more places and advance advance the gospel uh, beyond them. And he encourages, encourages them using accounting words like, you've entered into partnership with me. See that? Even though they were... They stayed in Philippi. They partnered with all the work of the Apostle Paul in advancing the gospel. He actually said, there's giving and receiving. You you joined me in the giving and receiving of gifts. Those were accounting words in the Greek language, like the receipts and the expenditures of what ministry costs. He used accounting terms and brought them into the church. He also looked that there's a fruit that increases to your credit. It's interesting. The, the word is literally the prophets that you have given. So he's, he's kind of just breaking it down to almost like, and he gives the illusion that in heaven, there's an account that you can kind of pay it forward to. <laughs> it's where you could take physical gifts here on earth and invest them. And God tr- translates that into spiritual blessings on earth and, and that God sees it. He says, your bill is paid in full. You don't owe me a thing. But he didn't see it as an entitlement. Because in the whole midst of this, he calls it a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. See, God sees it all. We're accountable to God with everything he's entrusted to us. But even beyond all these things that we can unpack from it, the number one thing he addresses is the thing that once we can address will really give us freedom in the area of our finances. And it has nothing to do with how much we make. It, it has everything we do with the contentment of our hearts. You see, that's what Paul is going to do. He's going to call us away from entitlement with God and into in contentment with God. See, entitlement says, God, you owe it to me. I'm your child. Uh, I'm going to pray. I need this to be happen, and you owe it to me. Contentment means 
whatever thing you have for me. Everything you have given is enough. If I have Jesus, I have enough for today. See, the Apostle Paul is not a picture of health, wealth, and prosperity in his gospel. He was actually one of, who got beat up, who suffered, and who almost, he actually, he was stoned by uh, religious leaders at the time and left for dead. This is not the picture that we get of contemporary American culture that basically says, if you love Jesus and you go to church, then you'll be good, and Jesus will give you the income that you want and the house that you have and the car that you want to drive. No, the Apostle Paul says, no, it, it has nothing to do with how much you have. It has everything to do with is Jesus enough for you? Are you content with Jesus? Because if you're content with Jesus, you'll be content in any and every situation. His contentment, Apostle Paul's contentment, was something he learned. And it meant that he was satisfied with Christ in every and all circumstances. He mentions here when he was brought low and when he was blessed to abound, when he had plenty and actually when he hungered, when he had abundance and when he was in need. He learned the secret of being content. Don't you want to be content? Man, if there's something I see that's a scourge of our culture right now, it's those words, discontentment. And it doesn't matter how much you make. I've seen people well into six and even seven figures of income each year who are so discontent that nothing can be good enough and nothing can be satisfying enough. I've seen people who make $25,000 a year with four children who are very content. And I've also seen people who make $29,000 and are very discontent. And I've seen people in the six figures who are very content. It doesn't matter how much you make. It's how do you view the giver of all good things. And what I want to talk to you about is really how do you grow in contentment? Because Paul gives us some of the secret here. The first thing he starts with is give glory to the giver. Wherever you're at, give glory to the giver. Look at how he starts out this passage. Verse 10. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. You see, when he received that gift from Epaphroditus, when, when he received that gift from the church in Philippi, he just went, thanks God. He didn't go, wow, I wonder if it was that really good message that I preached before I left there that they said, wow, <laughs> we want him back here. So let's just give him a whole bunch of money. No, he just said, I rejoiced greatly in the Lord. And then at the very end, look at verse 20. It says, to our God and Father, be glory forever and ever. Amen. Glories at this, at the beginning, at the end, at the Alpha and Omega, this passage, it's that picture that to God be everything, to God be the glory in our things, with our gadgets, with our incomes, with our jobs, we must give glory to the giver of all good things. I was reading this this morning and I read it earlier in the week in Psalm 145 verses 15 and 16. It says this, the eyes of all look to you and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. Look at that. Look at that. Every living things. Amoeba receives food from God. Birds receive food from God and they eat 75 to 80% of their weight in a day. 
If you weigh 150 pounds, it'd be like you eating 120 pounds of food a day. I know some of you are, you know, giving me a run for your money on how much you eat. But, but none of us could provide that for ourselves. And yet without a cupboard, without a refrigerator, God provides it every day, day in, day out for birds. Jesus looked at the birds and said, look at them, look at them. How much more valuable are you to me? See, that's the picture. God opens his hands. He satisfies the desire of every living thing. Your life and mine, your next, take that next breath. That was from God. That was from God. Give him glory. That's our chief end, is to return the glory to God with everything he's given to us. None of it belongs to us. All of it has been given to us. So we're called to steward this. Give glory. Acknowledge his provision. He says, my God will supply your need. God's the supplier. I'm not. Express thankfulness. He said, you've revived what you've done. I thank God for you. Obey his authority because he turns down to the leadership of God and the authority of God. Not to me be the glory, but to God be the glory. And then celebrate his faithfulness. What did he do? He rejoiced greatly. Give God the glory. He's the giver. Everything we have has been given to us by the giver of all life. Return it. When you're giving glory to God, it's amazing. It's amazing how you can move from discontentment to contentment. Secondly, decide on your legacy path. Now I'm drawing this out of the passage because I, I think about what what's going to be the end of our finances. I don't know that the church in Philippi did this, but think about this. They had to get down to a point where Jesus was the greatest thing in their lives. And Jesus was worth everything in their lives. So in poverty, severe poverty, not a recession, not a depression, we're talking about an economic collapse in Philippi. They gave generously. They didn't give because they had it to give. They gave because Jesus owned it all. I mean, that's the great question to ask in the church in Philippi and in the book of Acts when people sold it all and gave it to, Christ, to, to the advancement of the gospel is, is what was it about Jesus that made them sell everything about it? And, and that's the great heart. He, when he's everything, nothing compares. And so here's this picture. They decided on what their legacy path would be. And they gave. They decided they wanted to be a blessing, not a burden. If you look at the churches that were a burden to Paul, the ones he kept going, ah, man, I wish I could give you meat, but you're still in milk. I wish I could talk to you about this, but I'm still correcting you. Oh, Corinth. Oh, Galatia. Philippi, he goes, wow, joy. And he was in prison when he wrote this. So when Philippi just entered, hey, I'm here from Philippi, he went, yes. See, they were a blessing to him. Do you know what? You have to decide right now. Right now is the time to decide for your legacy. It's a daily choice. In the area of finances, what do you want to be, a blessing or a burden? You need to decide. 
If you're a blessing, you want to be a blessing, then you need to take some steps so that you're not a burden anymore. A burden, you're not burdened with debt. You're not burdened with dependency. I mean, I can't tell you how many, how many families where parents are in their 30s and 40s, they're still allowing their parents to fund them. That's craziness. That's craziness. We need to take responsibility. And you, you need to decide not to be that burden, but to be a blessing. Look what Proverbs says about being a blessing. He says, whoever brings blessing will be enriched. And the one who waters will himself be watered. The people curse him who holds back grain, but a blessing is on the head of him who sells it. Whoever diligently seeks good seeks favor, but evil comes to him who searches for it. Whoever trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like a green leaf. Whoever troubles his own household, this is what we're talking about, being a burden, will inherit the wind and the fool will be servant to the wise of heart. Folks, we have got to decide blessing or burden. And, and when you're a blessing, you're, you have a legacy in giving and in generosity and in growing. When you're a burden, it's, you have a legacy in debt and in bailouts. The only indication right now of your legacy is the present. The only indication of the future is the present. So if I were to just look at where you're at right now, what kind of legacy are we leaving right now? If just what happens now is just repeated for another year and another decade and another generation. What will the end legacy be? We have to decide right now. I want to be a financial blessing to my family. I want to be a blessing as a church. I want to be a blessing to this community financially as well as with people loving and helping the poor and showing up and being the first to love and the last to love the neighborhoods of great need in our area. Yeah, that's our legacy. We want to do that. And then target specific life-giving goals. See, there's major components of financial freedom. And, and to do that, you've got to trace the cash flow in your lives. Discontent refuses to take personal responsibility with reality. And those who are discontent always blame it on something, always shame others for what they think that, it, that they're owed. And you have to step out of that. That's why Proverbs fifteen twenty two says, without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. You know what? I need advisors in my life in the area of finances. I put my personal finances in the eyes of trusted men in my life. Two of them in my life are, are uh, Jeff Vogel and, um, and, and Rick Tagg. I serve on the elder board with them. They see what I make and they see where it goes. They're another group of guys. Most men have no guys like this who ever look at what they make. And, and I realize I could spend it all and more. And I can't afford to do that in my family, in my marriage. And so I put myself under accountability with other men who can look at what I spend and go, that looks a little bit out of control, man. What's, what's that? And so far I haven't bought the bass boat, okay? <laughs> See, I, 
A woman, when she has a bad day, goes out and buys a, a dress, okay? A guy, when he has a bad day, goes out and buys a bass boat. Those are no good, okay? The, the bass boat, boat puts the whole family in debt. And so we've got to be responsible with this. And, and it's caused me to think about three areas. How am I giving? How am I saving? And how am I living? And, and I've worked out a grid of giving at least 10% of my income saving at least 20% of my income and living on 70% of my income. That has given me a tremendous amount of freedom. But they're life-giving to me. I can give. Now, I have preached tithing here, and I've called everyone in our church to tithing, to giving 10% of your income to the Lord. But if you're not giving right now, start someplace. Put out a goal there. Some percentage that you go... This is what we'll give. And just start in these life-giving goals because you can't afford not to give. You can't afford not to save. You can't afford not to be accountable in, in your spending. It's those one areas that we go, yeah, you can tell me about the word, but don't mess with my life, pastor. Yeah, yeah. The Bible speaks about finances. It's one of the top subjects of the scriptures. Why? Because where our treasure is, there our heart will be also. And it's killing us. It's killing us as a society, as a people, as families, in our marriages. Number one reason marriages divide up is finances. It's killing us. So we need life-giving goals for us to pursue. And then practice consistent habits. Know well, it says in Proverbs 27, 23, the condition of your flocks. And give attention to your herds, for riches do not last forever. And does a crown endure to all generations? What a great question by the practical book of wisdom called Proverbs. Yeah, I mean, it just says, know well, everything God has entrusted with you. And and, uh, just be practical, be, be logical with it. Riches don't last forever. What would you do if the bottom fell out? Do you have a plan? Most, 68% of Americans live payroll check to payroll check. If they, if their payroll check was delayed for 14 days, they wouldn't know what to do. 68% of us. 56% have no idea what a budget is. (laughs) Folks, that will kill us. It's not a consistent habit. And so we overspend and we get strapped. The Bible calls us to consistent habits that, that, are, that are consistent with the life-giving goals. One of the things we have done as a family is um, just until recently, until we moved it to the debit card, is we had cash envelopes. And we put cash envelopes in each of our budget areas. And if we overspent in one, we promised to each other. This was a habit, a consistent habit. We wouldn't rob from another to pay it. We just wouldn't go and get clothing that, that month. And we could make it work. Now, food got a little tricky, but it caused us to go reach way back, you know, to the green, where the green olives are in the cupboard. Yeah, it caused us to reach back and to get stuff we normally wouldn't eat that would just age in our cupboard. But we learned those habits and they were life-giving to our family because we didn't overspend in those areas. That's, That's key. The final thing is to resist comparing. 
Look what Paul says, how he's learned. I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance in need. I can do all things, he said, through him who strengthens me. I would encourage you, don't compare yourself with your past. I talked to so many parents who said, oh, I grow up so poor. I just want my children to have so much more than I ever had. Don't buy that lie. You have diligence and you have character because you struggled when you were younger. You want to rob your kids of that? So that they're dependent on you and that you define happiness by things rather than committed relationships? Don't buy that lie. The families with more don't find that satisfaction and contentment that you're thinking you'll have. Don't compare with your peers. With your peers. Your pastor, your peers will kill you. Keeping up with the Joneses? You know, Philippi didn't look at the other churches and stay on the sidelines because of it. If they would have, they would have said, Corinth had so much more than we ever had. And they ought to be giving generously to the Apostle Paul. We're not going to give until they give. Okay? They could do that. Don't compare yourself with people around you. I know it's so so easy, too, when the new car drives in next door and you go over and see it and you, you smell it. And it's a new car. There's something about you. You like Pavlov's dog. You start to salivate for a new one. You know? You want to do that. That's just our culture gets sucked into keeping up with the people next door. And you just got to go, no, no, I'm a child of God. And I want to reflect the glory of my God in all things, through all of my spending habits, whatever. I want to reflect him. So this is how it works. Take a look at this graphic. When you are giving glory to the giver and you're deciding on what kind of legacy you want to build, and you target some goals that are life-giving in, in your life and practicing these habits, consistent habits, and resisting comparison. How do you resist comparison? Just continue to give glory to God. It builds momentum with contentment in your life. This has been my grid. This has been my grid as I've led in my family and as I lead in church. I give glory to God that everything we have is from the giver of all life. We decided as a church to give, be a legacy here that our community could count on us to be a blessing. Yeah, we're, we're planning on that. Okay, so just hang, hang with me, okay? We've targeted some goals as a congregation that we wanted to be generous with in this community for local missions and global missions. We also practiced habits of restraining ourselves from just hiring more staff and and needing to and not needing to depend on everyone being called into ministry. See, we can do what we do because you guys show up and and serve in ministry, not because we just pay more people to do ministry. And when we resist comparing ourselves with other churches, you know, we can learn things from other churches. We can go, what are they doing? How we can learn? But we never go, we're going to do exactly what they did, exactly how they did it. No, we're not going to compare because we're our own family. And we want to not be normal. We want to be godly as a church. 
And so we've come to a defining moment as a congregation tonight, one that we want to celebrate. And uh, I'd like to ask Steve Pogue to join me up here. There you are. You came from the side. Steve is our church treasurer, and he has been here since FBC started. And he has a report to give right now. Thanks, Joe. Uh, yes, I was one of the uh, 17 families that back in uh, 1996, we got together and through prayer and uh, thoughtful consideration, decided to leave uh, Topeka Bible Church and form Fellowship Bible Church. And at that time, there were 75 adults and children, and we would uh, take our trailer of gear, and we would go to a school. In fact, one of the schools we were at was right next door here. And we would unpack that gear every Sunday, hold our services, repack it up, and go back home, and we would be praying for where God might find a permanent facility for us. Uh, It came in 1998. Um, when we prayed about a facility that could be put on the land at 17th Indian Hills. And God answered that prayer, and he said, uh, by providing us with not only that property, but also neighbors that were accepting of a church building there, um, finances to get started, as well as uh, a a bank of willingness to uh, provide a small loan to us. In 2000, we opened the doors at 17th and Indian Hills, and we prayed for God to bless that building and bring us more folks in who would want to be seeking Christ and what that he might do in their lives. Afterwards, we continued to pray to God. We asked him to provide us pastor staff, and he did that. We asked him to bring more people in to FBC to hear the message we had, and he did that. And we kept praying as we expanded and, and were beginning to outgrow our facility there. So as we've continued to pray and said, what's the next step? God provided an answer. He provided this land at 10th and Yerish. He provided a buyer for our old building. He provided 170 families to step forward and commit $1.6 million towards this building, which was a $4.3 million project. He also provided Capital City Bank to have faith in what we are doing here and provide us uh, funds through a loan that we could uh, get this facility going. And he saw that... uh, God answered that prayer, provided this facility, and now we've grown again. Today, we are going to praise God for the financial sacrifice of those 170 families as well as the 800-plus families that now call FBC home. It is because of the financial donations of all of you that we can do, as Dave Ramsey would say, and declare ourselves today debt-free. We have paid off that $2.7 million loan as of this week, and we are going to celebrate this today. I have a uh, copy of our mortgage. We have the trash can. And here goes the burning. And what this is going to allow us to do, by paying this off, we paid off this $2.7 million in just 64 months' time. This was a 10-year note, um, and so we had no idea that we could do it. So, so thank you very much. We want to praise God again for your generosity. And now it's going to allow us freedom to then... Be open for the call to what God might have us do next here at Fellowship Bible Church. Thank you. Thank you, Steve. God bless you. Thank you very much. So think about this. Um, two, not even two years ago, 18 months ago, I put on my prayer list for all the different ministries of this church. We had $1.86 million of debt at that time, 18 months ago. And I prayed and I put it and trusted the Lord with it. And I said, Lord, it would be really good if we could get rid of this debt in the next, eight, in the next two years. 
So I said, so October of 2011, I said, I'm looking to you for October 2013. And here we are in May of 2013. And we paid it off. Because of your generosity, because of what God is doing in your lives. Because um, when you have Jesus, you have everything. And when you don't have Jesus, you have nothing. And it's changed the way that generosity, and it changes the way that everything that God blesses you flows through your life. So this is awesome. This is awesome. At the same time that we've paid off this debt, we've also increased what we give to our community by 53% and increased what we give to the Lord globally by 75% at the same time. Why? Because God is supplying all of our needs according to his riches, right? That's what Paul ends with. It says, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Let's give him glory. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, let's shift our attention to give glory to God by the taking and uh, the receiving and taking of the Lord's Supper, communion. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians 9.15, he says, Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. He is the giver, isn't he? And he has given us, Jesus Christ, the indescribable gift. Every time we give, we reflect Jesus, who get, loved us and gave himself for us. 